we have a really great passage that we're in tonight. We're going to continue in Luke chapter six. For those of you that have been with us, we have actually been working through the gospel according to Luke. What we do as Calvary Chapel is we work through entire books of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, right? What's so wonderful about that is no matter where you end up, wherever you're going to be, whatever book you're in, man, the Lord has something new and fresh to show us. And we don't get to pick our topics. We land where we're going to land as we work verse by verse. And it's so cool to see how the Lord leads us in his spirit to pick certain books. And then when we get into them, the Lord speaks to those books. Amen. It's really exciting. So we've been in the gospel of Luke. And again, we're going to be at chapter six, verse 37 tonight is where we're starting. Last week, we looked at, I believe it was verse 12 through 36. And we began the sermon on the plain. And see what this is, is Jesus telling his disciples, the people that belong to him, right? That follow him, that claim to follow him. He says, this is how you should live in this world. This is how you should live as you profess to be kingdom citizens. And see, I'm going to use that phrase a lot tonight, kingdom citizens. And you might say, what does that mean? The reality is that the Bible tells us we are in this world, but we are not of this world because we have been born into the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If we've confessed with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. It tells us that in Romans 10, 9. And see, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 through 4, it tells us what the gospel is. It's the fact that Jesus died for our sins and rose again three days later, proving that he was God the Son, that he was 100% man, but 100% God. And when he died for our sins and we put our faith in that atoning work upon the cross, we now received his righteousness and the adoptions as sons and daughters into the kingdom of God. Amen. And see, that's what we're talking about. But to say that we're just citizens but not actually live like it, that would be a terrible thing. We would miss out on huge blessing. The Lord would not be glorified. The the body of Christ would not be edified. And the people around us that don't know the Lord yet, they wouldn't be testified to in the shiny, bright witness that we have as we follow the light of the world, Jesus Christ. And see, it's important that we learn how to live this life regarding others, regarding ourselves, and regarding obedience. And see, those are the three things that we're going to see tonight. So we're going to jump into it now. We're at Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Let's look at the first couple verses here, 37 and 38. It says, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And see, this is pretty wild, right? Because this is Jesus in the middle of the Sermon on the Plain. We talked about this, and he's basically telling, he's already told his disciples in verse 36, we need to be merciful as God the Father has been merciful towards us. And what he says now is essentially, hey, there's a principle of sowing and reaping in the realms of judgment and forgiveness. See, he says, if you don't judge, you too won't be judged. And if you don't condemn, you too will not be condemned. And see, it's an important thing to understand here, though, is that so many people, I don't know if you know this, but anyone that has just heard of the Bible but actually hasn't studied the Bible, one of the most often quoted verses that they misquote 
is the verse thou shalt not judge, right? Like don't judge. If you judge, you know, you're not supposed to do that as a Christian, but here's the deal. First of all, we look at the original language. Absolutely. We should not judge in the way that it says to you. And really what it's talking about is what it's mentioned here is condemnation. This is the idea of a final judgment. This is the idea of seeing someone in their sin. Here we are as kingdom citizens. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. And we see people in the world living honestly, the way that we would expect them to in the world. But when we see that happening, we say, hey, that's destructive. We give them the gospel and we explain to them why those choices, why those things can be destructive and why we as kingdom citizens don't partake in them. Common response is, hey, don't judge me, right? Only God can judge me, which always blows my mind. That's way worse than me judging you, by the way. <laughs> you don't want to face God with all of your sin piled up on your, on your account, so that's why we take the gospel out first and say, here's the deal. The wages of sin is death. But the good news is that Jesus Christ died for your sins. So the good news is what we lead with. We lead with that good news. And then we say, but when we believe that, when we accept that, man, we can identify and discern practices that are destructive to you. And out of love, we can say, man, that's just not going to be blessing to you. It's not going to be glorifying to God. And see, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 2, with what you will be judged, that same measure, it will be measured back to you. So we're talking about the way we judge. He didn't, in this case, again, he's talking about it's okay to be discerning, but God forbid we get to a point where we start condemning people in their sins and say, man, that guy's a sinner, and therefore he will forever be a sinner. Because let's remember, we once were lost and dead in sin and trespasses as kingdom citizens. The only way you become a kingdom citizen is by acknowledging that you once were dead in sin and trespass. And when you confess that and you believe upon Jesus, those sins are removed. So who would we be to tell someone, hey, they're never going to overcome that. They're, the grace of God is not deep enough and far enough and long enough to cover their sins. That's what Jesus is talking about. Don't condemn the world and say, man, they're just never going to change. Because here's the reality. Jesus is still moving through the power of his spirit, through his kingdom citizens. He's filling us with his spirit, giving us opportunities to go out. And that treasure that is in us, the Holy Spirit, man, people will see the power of Christ working in and through us as the Lord sanctifies us. And we can tell the world what the blessing is to follow Jesus and obey his word. Amen. And see, we're not to judge anyone. Romans 14, 4, it says, who are you to judge another servant? To his own master, he stands or falls. And see, we know Jesus is the ultimate judge. He's the final judge. He is the authoritative judge. It says in John 5, 22, the father, speaking of God, the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son that all should honor the son just as they honor the father. And that's a wild statement because so many people generally say that God, speaking of God the Father will judge them. But here's the deal. Jesus is the one that stands and does the judging according to this verse. But the good news is, is according to 1 John, I believe it's 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it tells us that if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father who is Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ can either be your judge or he can be your advocate. But at no point should we be acting as a judge. What we need to be doing is taking the gospel out to people and letting them realize that Jesus died for the wages of sin and death. Don't condemn them in their sin, but lead them to Jesus who will pour out mercy and forgiveness upon them. 
And see, it's awesome here because what we're told is not only should we not condemn people in their sin, but it tells us that we need to be forgiving and be giving out mercy. And this is, a, this is just such a wild thing because if we just said, okay, I'm not going to judge people. There's many times where I would think, well, that's good enough, right? If I don't condemn people. But see, Jesus goes a step further. He says, no, what we want you to do is we want you to represent the kingdom, represent me, Jesus would say. And he says, go out and pour out forgiveness. And it's so funny. It's, it's tragic more than funny, right? But how often when I get sinned against, when someone wrongs me and I have to give out forgiveness, what do I go get out of the drawer to measure out my forgiveness and mercy? I get the tiniest little teaspoon that I can possibly find, right? I get the baby food spoon out, right? I'm like, okay, I'm going to pour, serve up some forgiveness to this person. But then when it's my sin, man, I want, I think it was David Guzik that said this during one of his studies. He said, I want the dump truck size forgiveness and mercy. I want to back that truck up and just cover me in that forgiveness and mercy. And see, Jesus told us in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So this is the sowing and reaping that we're talking about. It's a biblical principle here that's talking about the way to live a blessed life here on this planet. Let's be clear. We're not talking about salvation at this point. We as kingdom citizens, we're saved when we confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. That's Romans 10, 9. But if you want to live a life that is practically blessed, that is shiny and bright and represents the Lord well, we obey his word and we go out and we forgive others. And Jesus said, this is the kind of measure we should be giving and receiving if we do so. A good measure that's pressed down, shaken together and running over and it'll be put into your bosom. And that's a weird statement to us because we don't know what a bosom is these days, right? It's, that sounds weird. But what this is talking about is there was a, a, a part of the garment where they would carry all of their belongings in, in that time, in that culture. It's like, I don't know, it's almost like one of those slings that women carry their babies in, right? It's this idea of having this thing and filling it up. And Jesus says, man, however much you pack in on someone else and you give it overflowing in forgiveness and mercy and grace, man, I'm going to give back to you to the point of overflowing out of anything that you could even contain it with. And man, I don't know about you, but that's what I want from the Lord. I need that from the Lord. I need mercy. I need grace. I fall short every day. I fall short of living up to this code of conduct for kingdom citizens. I need mercy. Therefore, I need to give out mercy. And see, as kingdom citizens who have trusted in Jesus Christ, we know that our sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. That's how far he removes our transgressions from us, according to Psalm 103, 12. And I love it because our, our, our pastor, Pastor Xavier Reese at Calvary Pasadena, he used to always talk about the fact that this verse says, from the east to the west is how far he removes your sins. It's because you can go east forever and ever and you'll never end up going west. But if he would have said north to south and you go north long enough, you're going to end up coming south, right, on the globe. I love this. The Lord took our sin and took it so far away. And Jesus is saying, look, if you've received that kind of forgiveness, man, generously give that out to others. The mercy, the grace that you have received, man, be ready to do this because at the end of the day, you're representing the kingdom of Jesus Christ here on this earth. Your testimony 
of forgiving people, that is foreign to our flesh and it's foreign to the world. We saw it last week. The world would say eye for an eye, right? And not only for an eye, but I'm going to take both of your eyes if you take one of mine, right? In this case, Jesus says, no, no, no. I forgave you. And you had nothing to bring to the party, man. (laughs) You had nothing to offer. It's the greatest transaction in history that Jesus would die for our sins and then give us his righteousness. Man, praise the Lord for that. And see, it reminds me of Matthew 18, 21 to 35, where Jesus told the parable of the unforgiving servant. See, what happened in this story, that this man had had a huge debt that he owed his king. And in the story, and remember, this is a parable, so it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And Jesus told the story and said, the man had this debt, and the king calls him out on the carpet and says, hey, it's time to pay your debt. The man says, I have no way to pay this debt. And the king says, that's it. I'm going to take your, your wife, your kids, all you're going to work for me. You're all going to jail. And like, you can't pay this debt. And the man just falls down before the king and he starts weeping and, and saying, please forgive me this debt. And Jesus says in this story, in this parable, that the king had compassion and he forgave the debt. And see, this is exactly what we experienced. When we had wages of sin, which was death, there was no way we could pay it. Whether you lied once or every day was just hell on earth. (laughs) Whatever we were doing, we deserve death because God is perfect and holy and his law was perfect and holy. So when Jesus came as the perfect sacrifice, he came and stepped in and now we've been forgiven by his atoning work. And see, we should be rejoicing that and be forgiving others. But the man in the parable, when he was forgiven the great debt, the king let him go. He went and found some guy that owed him very little and he starts strangling him by the neck. It says in Matthew 18, right? And he starts, he starts strangling him and he's telling this guy, Hey, pay, pay up, man. Well, it's crazy because this man that was greatly forgiven is out here choking someone that barely owes him anything. And the King gets word of it. And I love that because the King, the Lord always hears, he always sees. And in Matthew 18, verse 33, the King says, should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And Jesus concludes the section, verse 34 and 35 of Matthew 18, saying, and his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. And man, this is huge because this is from his heart. So many times, I believe I can be guilty of empty forgiveness, of empty mercy, where I go, yeah, 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 it's cool. I forgive that guy. But deep down, am I wishing for for him to, to, to actually be successful? Am I wishing for him to truly come and walk after the Lord? I hope I am. But so many times there's that superficial forgiveness. Jesus says, no, 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 do it rightly. Do it as I did, Jesus would say. Jesus didn't do it in a superficial way. He laid down his life for our sake out of love. And see, that's what we should be giving out is mercy and forgiveness just as we received it. And so that was what we need to do regarding others. But Jesus now is going to talk about what we need to do regarding ourselves. Look at verse uh, 39 through 42. It says, again, we're in Luke chapter 6. It says, and he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, 
Brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. And so this is awesome. What's happening here, it's totally convicting, but it's such an awesome parable that Jesus is teaching here. And see, Jesus begins this idea that we need to be able to recognize our own blindness if we ever desire to truly follow him and seek his guidance. You see, he began this section with a rhetorical question. Jesus says, hey, let me ask you something. If a blind man is leading a blind man, how's that going to go? Is he going to actually be able to lead him? And he immediately answers, no, they're both going to fall in a ditch, right? (laughs) I mean, you can imagine, right? It's send two blind guys hiking. That is not going to be a good situation, right? I think, I mean, that sounds sounds bad, but it would be really bad. That's what Jesus is saying. (laughs) But what would be scarier? What if someone doesn't know they're blind and starts telling other people, hey, let me help you. Come follow me. And the idea is that our pride would blind us to think that we are the perfect sighted, holy teachers of all men. Man, that's terrifying. And I think we can all be guilty of this. The pride of life, the pride of, of, of that's there in our flesh. If we don't yield to the spirit, we start to think like, hey, man, look at I'm saved. I'm I'm good. Like I know everything now. Like God forbid. Right. I think about the idea of Proverbs 16, 18. It says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. First Corinthians 10, 12 says, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And see, that's what's happening in this, in this parable. Jesus says, if two blind men, if one was trying to leave the other one, they'd both end up falling. And this is the reality for those of us that think we're so strong in our own flesh, that we're so strong in everything spiritual. The day we start to think that we know everything and that we're perfect at everything, man, A, it's funny because you ain't married if you think that because my wife will tell me very quickly, I think, when, I, when I'm acting like a knucklehead. So praise the Lord for that. If you have good friends and you're in fellowship, they're going to tell you, hey, dude, you're acting crazy, <laughs> right? So this is why fellowship is important. This is why godly relationships are important. But when we refuse to see our need to follow Jesus and think that we've made it, that we've attained, we start leading others. And not only are we going to fall, but we're going to stumble others. And see, that's why I believe Jesus says here in verse 40, he says, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And I see two applications in this. The first one is that, hey, if you think that you're good to lead people, just know that whoever you're leading, they can only get as good as you are right? They're only going to be as high up as the teacher is. And so this makes me always think, man, as a blind fleshly man, if I'm relying on my flesh, who am I to lead anybody? I really, really have to be careful before I start thinking that, man, I can disciple people and just tell them, be like me, be like me. That's terrible, terrible advice. (laughs) At least for me, maybe you guys are different, but I believe the smarter thing, the more obvious thing to do here is the second application where it says everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. And see, how do we get perfectly trained? We get the perfect teacher. And the only perfect teacher that we can get is Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus is teaching this section. He says, I'm training you right now. The Sermon on the Plain is for his disciples to learn how they can walk and live like Jesus, how they can be merciful and forgiving and compassionate like Jesus. 
And so what he's saying here is identify your need to follow Jesus. And the good news is about this is if someone does want to come and ask us, hey, how are you doing this walk with Jesus? How would you do it? Someone new to the faith comes up and asks you how to walk like Jesus. In my opinion, it should be like Paul, what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11. 1. He says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. You see, as I follow Jesus, praise the Lord that I may be an example to someone, but God forbid they start following me. You can follow me as long as I'm following Jesus. The day I stop following Jesus, you better not follow me. Continue following Jesus. But man, if we're all seeking to follow him first and foremost, the kingdom's going to be strong. Amen. The kingdom's going to represent what it's supposed to represent. And everything apart from the Lord is just insufficient. If we start thinking that, you know, we, we are disciplined enough to carry out these things, I'll tell you something. When you start following Jesus, you realize that you need Jesus more than ever. This is the crazy thing about this relationship. It's not like we get better in the sense that we get more sanctified, Lord willing, through the power of his spirit as we commit to his word. But even as we're getting sanctified, we realize even more our wretchedness. How badly we needed that sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross, his resurrection from the dead. And it's a beautiful relationship because we're never going to get bored. We're never going to attain. We're never going to be at a point where we go, cool, I'm done being sanctified. (laughs) This is the will of God for our life. According, I believe it's 1 Thessalonians 5, 2. It says that the, the will of God for our life is to be sanctified. And this is what we're supposed to do the entire time we're on this planet as kingdom citizens, seeking the Lord to be sanctified more and more as we imitate Jesus, as we follow Jesus. And see, Jesus speaks the parable in this section talking about, it's a very famous one, right? The speck in the eye with the plank, the plank eye, right? Look what it says again. I just want to read the parable one more time, starting 41. It says, and who do you, who, who, I'm sorry. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye. When you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye. This is wild. Imagine Jesus telling the story for the first time. See, we lose some of the comedic appeal of this parable, I feel like, because we've heard it so many times. But imagine the very first time Jesus tells a story. He says, okay, there's a guy. He walks over and he sees his fellow brother with a speck in his eye, a speck of wood, right? Like sawdust, I guess. That's painful, it's so funny because during worship earlier, I had to run over and put some eye drops in my eye because I had something hurting my eye really bad, probably the Texas allergies. And I think it's fitting. So Lord, to remind me, a little speck can hurt a whole lot. It can make you very uncomfortable and keep you from doing what you need to do. So it is a problematic thing. But as this guy goes over to tell this other guy, hey, you got a speck in your eye. The guy turns his head and he's got this giant two by four sticking out of his face. And Jesus just says, dude, this is so hypocritical. Who do you think you are to walk out here and tell someone that they have this small, albeit problematic speck in their eye? Well, you have a way worse, more problematic issue in your own life. And see, I don't know about you guys, but this is so often the case. I'm so quick to see the little things wrong in other people. And usually it's because someone told me the saying once, if you spot it, you got it. What that means is you can see the speck in someone else's eyes because you probably have a big old plank of that in your own life. When you start saying, man, that dude, I can't stand that guy. He's just so proud. 
And then we realize it's because I'm proud and I think I'm better than that guy. If it's in my flesh, (laughs) how many times we need to take a step back and say, Lord, man, let me look at my life and assess my own situation. Just as Jesus says, he says, here's what you need to do. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. See, this is so important because at this point, what Jesus is saying, there is a way to help someone with the speck in their eye. But it's it's not until after you've dealt with your own things in the Lord, at least until you've recognized the fact that you've had a big old plank in your head, <laughs> that you yourself are the sinner of all sinners, like Paul would say about himself, right? And I think Paul was wrong because I'm the sinner of all sinners, but whatever, you know? The end of the day, we look at this and go, Jesus gave a process. He says, you should be helping people in identifying what is problematic. But to avoid hypocrisy, take care of it in your own life first. Like how hypocritical is that for me to walk over to someone and say, hey, you shouldn't lie. It's deceptive and destructive. And then I walk away and I start lying. (laughs) That's that's a problem. I'm a habitual liar telling people to stop telling little white lies, right? But now, God forbid, we have high standards. It's okay to tell someone, hey, it's a problem to lie and then fall short of that. But our desire is to not lie. And when we get called out on the carpet, we go, yeah, I'm a failure. I lied, man. Hypocrisy is saying, nope, I never lie even when we do. That's a problem. I hope that makes sense. Hypocrisy is to pretend that you don't have the issue. See, humility is to say, man, I do have that issue. I know how problematic that issue is. That's why I want to in love tell you about the speck that is in your eye. But hopefully you dealt, like Jesus said, deal first with the plank that's in your head. And I'll tell you, man, I think so many times there's enough in our own face sticking out that we don't need to be worrying about people's specs at the end of the day. Man, I have plenty that the Lord can point out to me as I seek him and say, Lord, what do I need to work on today? Before I start fixing everyone else, I think there's just a real practical level saying, Lord Jesus, show me what I need to deal with in my own life. But Really interesting, right? So Jesus actually gives that that model what to do. And so anyone that says, hey, you shouldn't judge in the sense of pointing out things, Jesus says, here's the process. You go and show it after you've dealt with your own things or you've addressed and identified it as a problem for yourself. So it's interesting. And Jesus goes into another section here in verse 43 that continues to build upon that idea that we can identify what is good and bad. Look what it says here in 43. It says, For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks." And see, this is Jesus giving an illustration to say, again, we can identify whether something is good or bad. And the way we identify that is what is being produced by the source. What is being produced by by a person? It reveals what is in their heart. And it's so interesting because, again, this is not a call to condemn others, but to identify what is good and bad. I think the principle here is the same as it was with the speck in the eye is to say, don't go around looking for bad trees. Maybe we start first of all, with just ourselves, 
Examine ourselves. I believe it's 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Paul wrote, examine yourselves to make sure you're not disqualified. <laughs> and see, this section is talking about words, right? It's talking about things that can come out of us. And Jesus says, look, at a good tree is not going to bear bad fruit. And a bad, bad fruit is not going to come out of a good tree, vice versa. I don't know if I said that right, but you know what I mean. An orange tree is not going to produce apples. An apple tree is not going to produce oranges. We can walk up to an apple tree with tons of apples on it and I immediately identify that it is an apple tree. We don't have to be like a rocket scientist or, I don't know, uh, a Solomon who knew everything about trees and plants according to 1 Kings 4. Like we can go and look at an apple on a tree and say that's an apple tree. Find an orange, say that's an orange tree. Jesus says the reality is as kingdom citizens, we should be producing fruit that shows that we belong to the Lord. James 3.12 says, Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. And you see, the idea is that like the church of Laodicea in the book of Revelation, I believe it's Revelation 3, they were lukewarm. They were neither hot, they're neither cold. In this case, James is saying, you don't get bad things from good things. You don't get good things from bad things. The reality is we need to realize that if we are saved by Jesus, we should be changed by Jesus. And the stuff that is coming out of our life, man, that, that should prove that there is a new creation in here. Like 2 Corinthians 5.17 talks about it. It says if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And part of that newness is producing fruit. Jesus talked about it in John 15.5. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me bears much fruit. But without me, you can do nothing. No good fruit coming out of us if we're not in Jesus Christ. We remember the stuff that we produced in the world, right? It was not good fruit. <laughs> it was wicked, wicked things that we produced, right? But in this case, I believe the inspection of what's good and evil should start with ourselves. Again, examine yourselves and say, what's going on here? And it's funny because Jesus says, look it, you don't go over and try to get, uh, what was it, figs from, a, from thorns or grapes from a bramble bush. See, the reality is when I start producing thorns, <laughs> we're talking about words in this section, right? He says the, what comes out in, in, in your mouth, that what you speak shows what's in your heart. So when I start producing things that are sharp, divisive, painful things like thorns, or when I look like a bramble bush, which is just anything that's all prickly and sharp, it's like, man, I'm not producing the God-glorifying fruit that I should be, that should come through that new life in Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And see, for me, that's a great opportunity to say, man, what's going on here? Because see, Jeremiah 17, 9, it says that the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. So we know that evil is our predisposed state before Jesus Christ. But you see, as a new creation in Jesus, our speech should be different. The things coming out of us shouldn't be things that chop people down to condemn them, as Jesus talked about. But it should be gracious, merciful, the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that new life can be given in him. That should be coming off the mouth of every kingdom citizen. The kingdom should be growing, not staying stale. It shouldn't be stagnant. It should be bringing people in and say, hey, let's grow this thing out by giving the gospel out to everyone that we encounter. Those are not thorns. Those are good fruits, right? But man, I'll tell you, there's times when my tongue 
I'll say, man, where did that come from? That was terrible, right? <laughs> I'll say something sometimes, and it reminds me of James 3.8. It says, no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruling evil full of deadly poison. But here's the good news. Although man can't tame the tongue, God can tame the tongue through the power of his spirit. Amen. And see, as we stop relying on our flesh and start obeying and following Jesus, although we're not going to be perfect, our treasure now in our heart, according to Matthew 18, 3, right? Since it's Jesus, that's where he's our treasure. That's where our heart will be. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so good things start coming out because it's a good thing that's now in us, the spirit of the living God. I believe it's 1 Corinthians 3.16 that says we are the temple of the living God, that he dwells in us. And so it should be good things now coming out. And I think that that's what can be our gauge. That can be the thing at times when we say, man, I need to get back into the word. I need to get back into fellowship. I need to get back into step with my King Jesus. When I start saying things that aren't, aren't only destructive, like towards other people, but I think sometimes we doubt We'll say things out loud. I'm guilty of this. I start to doubt the plans of God in my life. When I start to say, man, maybe God was not really doing all these other things. And as I say those things, man, I'm convicted because I'm like, I know that's not true. But it starts slipping out and I go, man, I need to get back into prayer. I need to get back to the Lord. He's not giving me a spirit of fear, but one of love and of power and of a sound mind. I need to get back to the Lord and continue in the things that he's called me to be in and not let my heart start to go back to the flesh and have these nasty things coming out. And so it's, it's wild because we have this, this idea of how we need to live towards others, how we need to live regarding ourselves, like taking that personal check of seeing where we're at and making sure we're not hypocritical, right? Making sure that we are growing in the Lord and trusting in the Lord. But the last thing is regarding obedience, and see, I think it's so important that Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Plain with the parable of the two builders. Look at verse 46 to 49. This is the last part we're going to look at tonight. It says, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against the house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently. And immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. And see, in this section, it's so fitting that Jesus concludes the sermon with this parable. Because think about how many times the Lord has told us to do certain things in this section, right? Blessed are you. He gave four different blessings. You know, blessed are you who are, who are poor. Blessed are you who are hungry. Blessed are you who weep. Blessed are you who, uh, who are hated by men. He told us, these are things that you're going to encounter. These are things you're going to live out because you're looking for the kingdom. Then he went on and said, you need to love your enemies the way that no one in this planet ever loves their enemies. You need to give when everyone else is taking. And even when they burn you, you don't burn them back. You pray for them. You pour out mercy and forgiveness on them and not to be a hypocrite and all these other things. But now Jesus really drives it home here with this parable. Because what he's saying is you've heard all of the words that I've spoken. But unless you build upon them, they don't do anything in your life. 
They really condemn you if you don't observe them. It's like Deuteronomy 28, 9 and 28, 15. It said, if you obey the voice of the Lord, you will be blessed. But if you don't obey the voice of the Lord, all these curses are going to come upon you. You're going to suffer. And so when you hear the words of Jesus and you might decide, well, no, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Well, woe to you. Woe to me if we don't want to build upon the words of Jesus because there's nothing else out there. As Peter said to Jesus, where else would I go? Because you have the words of life. You have everything I need, Lord Jesus. There's nowhere else to go. So Jesus says, this is great. That's the first step to acknowledge that you've come to me and you trust me. But it's not enough just to say, Lord, Lord. You see, he says here that you actually have to partake and build upon these things. And we just discussed words are very important. Words are powerful. And the things that we hear come out of our mouth, they should show us what we're doing in the Lord. Are we walking close to the Lord or not? But obedience, actions speak louder than words. We can say all day that we belong to the Lord, but until we actually obey the word of the Lord, we have no evidence that we really believe what we preach. And see, this was my life before entrusting in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior in 2008. Before that, I knew who Jesus was, and I would tell you that Jesus was Lord in a general way. So many people say, well, hey, I go to a Christian church. I go to a Christian school. My dad's a Christian. My mom's a Christian. It's not like it's not group coverage insurance, right? It's not like heritage. You don't receive it through the blood of your father. You receive it through the blood of Jesus. And see, what we need to do is say, Lord, I don't just say that you're Lord. I believe and do the things that you've called me to do because not only are you my savior, but you're my Lord. You're my master. I follow you, Jesus. That's the desire that we should have. And Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21 to 23, he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And see, although Jesus told us to call him Lord and teacher in John 13, 13, right here he's telling us, but you also got to build upon my words. You got to obey. It's not enough just to say that you've heard of Jesus, that you know of Jesus. We actually have to come to Jesus. Did you notice this in verse 47, what it said? This to me is perfect discipleship. 47, it says, whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. That's discipleship. We first have to come to Jesus, be with him. Then we have to hear his words. And then once we hear his words, we have to obey those words. And see, Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. And see, I'll tell you, as a, as a pastor, I was the assistant pastor for several years at Calvary Chapel Pomona Valley. And, you know, it was always, it's been like this my whole walk, even 12 years ago, even when I first was at Calvary Chapel Pasadena, the reality is there's always going to be people that you'll run into that say they're Christians, that say they knew, knew the Lord and know the Lord. But the minute it comes from moving from emotionalism into obedience, they're out. I've been guilty of this. Let me be clear. This is not hypocrisy because I've been there so many times. And this is a warning. Man, 
Jesus did not make us just to lip service the fact that he's our Lord. He made us to be filled with the spirit and actually go out and fulfill the great commission and to live like he did with mercy and forgiveness and grace. And as we do that, we're so blessed for it. But man, if we're just showing up to church on Sunday and we're saying that we belong to Jesus, but we don't live like it, we don't build upon his words, we're just gonna pile up a bunch of destruction in our life. That's not what saves us. What saves us is putting our faith in Jesus. And then what, what honestly, the blessing from that is to walk in these things, to commit to actually honoring the word of Jesus. This is why Jesus takes so much time to say, you have to build upon my word. And see, look at what it, what it, what's happening here. He says, you need to build upon me. Jesus is the rock, right? You need to build upon, upon my words because if you don't, you're gonna be, it's gonna result in destruction. And see, it's crazy because in this section, there were two men building, right? He said there was the wise man that built upon the rock and there was the other guy who built upon the sand. And see, the guy that built upon the rock, he dug down into a deep, deep foundation, the deeper things than the elements of the world, than the elements of the earth, like Colossians 2.8 talks about, it kind of reminds me that we need to build not on the traditions of men and traditions of the basic principles of the world, but according to Christ, right? And so in this case, the wise man goes out and he starts building and he's digging deep foundation. The other guy's building as well. And when they both finish their houses before the storm hits, let's be clear. You could not tell any difference between the two houses that are there. That kind of blows my mind, right? Like, man, this is why it's important to be inspecting what's happening in our own hearts and our own life. Cause a house looks like a house until the storm comes. And see, Jesus promised his disciples in John 16, 33, he says, you will have tribulation in this world. And the reality is, even though we're kingdom citizens, I think even more so, as Jesus said, blessed are you when men hate you for my sake. We're going to run into trials, into battles in this world. We're going to run into physical trauma, physical sicknesses. We're going to run into things. And if we're not built upon the foundation as Jesus, man, that storm's going to knock the house right down. And notice the destruction of the house that wasn't built upon the rock. Two things. It was immediate and it was great. That's crazy to me because Jesus, right? Colossians tells us that in him, through him, by him, and for him, all things were created. If anyone knows about great things, it's Jesus. He says, if you don't build upon my words, and you're, the fall of your house, the thing that you're building, your legacy, your life, everything that you're pouring yourself into, it's going to be wiped out immediately when that storm hits. And it's going to be a great fall. But he says, man, you that actually hear my words, you dig deep, man, you're going to be blessed for that. When you build upon Jesus, you're going to see it in everyday life that this is the truth, that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. That as we build upon his word, Man, we're always going to be more blessed for it as we trust it. Because the Lord honors his word above his name. It tells us that in Psalm 138 too. He's not going to break his word. So if we honor his word, we will be blessed for it. But if we choose not to obey his word, it's nothing but lip service. That's not enough. He says in that day, he'll tell them, depart from me. I never knew you. And see Psalm 127 one is a verse the Lord has given me a lot lately. Planting this church here in McKinney, Texas. It's a verse the Lord reminds me every day. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. 
And you see, I want the Lord to build my life, (laughs) but I need to build my life upon his word if that's going to be the case. Can't serve two masters. Can't serve my flesh and still call Jesus Lord. I got to lay that down. And anyone that loses their life for Jesus' sake will find it and have life abundantly and eternally in him. Today is the day to realize if you've been building on something other than Jesus Christ, no more. Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. But here's the good news. Jesus has laid out everything that we need to know. And he's done all the work before the father to give us the ability to step in and receive his righteousness. You see, this in this is love, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The wages of our sin was death. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But when Jesus died upon that cross, he died for our sins. And if we choose to accept that gift in grace, we will be saved. And praise the Lord. If you've done that, praise the Lord. It's time to walk it out now. And as an encouragement, I'm telling you, this is a battle that I believe every day. As I read this section, I go, man, I'll never live up to this. That's part of it. We have to rely upon the Holy Spirit and realize, man, we're never going to be perfect. But the desire is to get better and better every day and be made more and more like Jesus every day. Amen. Talk to anyone that's been walking with the Lord for 90 years. They'll say, I still haven't attained. (laughs) Because Jesus is perfect. We never will be. But someday in his presence, we'll be made perfect. Sin will be gone. Mourning will be gone. All of the, the, the bitterness of this world, the pain of this world is gone. And all because of what Jesus did, not because of what we did. And so tonight, if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come before you now, Lord, and we thank you for your goodness, Lord. We thank you that you loved the world so much that you were willing to give your only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus, you said that if anyone wants to enter the kingdom of God, they must be born again. And Jesus, you're good to give us new life through the power of your spirit. If we confess, if we repent, turn away from the things that we were doing in the world, believing that you are God, we obey your word because we believe in who you are. Lord, I pray that tonight, if there's anyone online on Instagram, on YouTube, if they haven't accepted you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that right now they would accept you, that they would put their faith in you, Lord Jesus. And if you are online and you want to put your faith in Jesus Christ tonight, it begins with a simple prayer. It doesn't end here. It it continues as we follow Jesus through the power of his spirit, but it begins with this, this prayer here. You can repeat this after me wherever you are, out there on Instagram, on YouTube Live, if you want to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You'd repeat after me. You'd say, Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.